Hey guys, how you doing? Today, we're gonna talk about a train ride in Washington, D.C., a Trappist monk from Kentucky, and Jesus. <laughs> and some other dudes too, hey, what does all that have in common? Find out in today's episode, this is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. We are, we are in the middle of a series called Wounded. We're actually towards the end. Uh, this is episode, oh, darn it. I have no idea. 12, maybe? No, let me think. This would be, yeah, this is episode 12. <laughs> this, is, this episode is called The Flesh. So this is actually the third center of being and the sixth of all the centers of our personhood. So, hey, we've gone through the mind, the heart, the body, the soul, the spirit, and now we're doing the flesh. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So... I'm going to start out by telling you a story. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. So this was years ago. I was just out of college, just finished my undergrad. I had just gotten married. And my wife and I were visiting a friend in Maryland. And we took a train, a subway, I guess, really a subway, into Washington, D.C. one day as we were... You know, as we were spending time with our friend, we, so we went and spent a whole day in Washington, D.C. On our way back home that evening, we were in this subway train traveling back out of Washington, D.C. And it was full of people. And our, our, we actually were taking the train all the way to the end of the line where we had parked. And um, this is just the easiest way into Washington, D.C. So we were to go. So like when we first got on in Washington on this subway, there are all kinds of people, just crowds and crowds, right? And then with each successive stop on our way, the crowds got less and less and less, and stop after stop after stop, the crowds got thinner and thinner, and eventually it was just us, my wife, my friend, and one other person in the far side on the other end of the subway train we were in, the car. This girl was sitting back there. She was sitting back there alone. And my wife and I were talking. Our friend, we were talking with our friend and chatting. All of a sudden, I just noticed this girl at the other end of the subway was crying. As soon as I really noticed that, the Holy Spirit said, go talk to her. I just felt this in my spirit. Remember our six parts? (laughs) The Holy Spirit through our spirit, through our soul, through our data centers, right? All these things work together and that'll be the next episode where we talk about how they all work together. But like the spirit spoke to my spirit, just stirred me. I felt this stirring and I had this, this voice in my thoughts, you could say. Say, go talk to this girl. But man, as soon as I heard that, man, my heart heart started racing. I felt the, the awkwardness. Just thinking about walking the long walk down the car towards this girl... I just felt anxious and nervous. And so I did the next best thing instead of just like, because I really was like, God, I I can't do this. It's too awkward. So I was like, but you know what I can do? I'll ask my wife to do it. (laughs) Because this this other person, the stranger is a girl. My wife's a girl. Maybe she'll feel more comfortable if my wife just goes and checks on her. So I, I said, hey, you know what? I think God's really prompted me with a concern about this girl. She's crying. Why don't you go talk to her? You know, you're a girl. And my wife looked at me and said, 
well, look, if God put it on your heart, then you do it. And I was like, mm, dang it, <laughs> dang it. Man, I'm not getting out of this, am I, God? And God's like, nope, I asked you to do it. <laughs> it was kind of like Jonah. You know, God tells Jonah to go to, to um, Nineveh, and he gets on a boat and goes the other way. I was kind of trying to go the other way, but still, you know, not. So anyway, <laughs> I get up. I decide, okay, you know, God's asked me to do this. I get up. I walk the long walk down the car. I sit across from this girl. And I say, hey. And we talked. And we talked for a good 15 minutes. And I found out why she was crying. She had moved to Washington, D.C. for a job. She was, you know, it was a new city. She had spent some time there. And now she was leaving. She was moving back to think to her hometown. And she was just, it was just a bittersweet moment. I just listened to, to, you know, the things that were troubling her, the struggle. And then I just told her, I was like, hey, you know what? God's going to be with you. This is a tough change. You're going through a tough transition in your life, leaving things behind. You know, I got the sense that, that she, like it wasn't, she wasn't definitely not excited about leaving. And it wasn't necessarily a choice she wanted to make. It was kind of like something she had to do. And so I just said, hey, you know, God's going to be with you. And she looked at me and said, I know, because he sent you to me today. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, I walked all the way back down from that, that train car, that subway car. Man, I felt so good. I felt like I had just been used by God. And I had made a difference in someone's life in, in a moment, in a day, because I was obedient to God's leading, to God speaking to me, even though it was a struggle. Why was it a struggle? What was it in me, even though I, like, I didn't have a doubt about what God asked me to do, right? But I had a resistance. What was the resistance? That is the flesh. The flesh is the thing in Scripture that epitomizes our resistance to God. I've already talked about this. If you didn't catch any of the early episodes of the series, there's one called the obstacle, and I talk about the will, how our will needs to get out of the way. Well, the flesh it is epitomized by our will, but it's not just our will, okay? So the first thing I would say is our will isn't bad, inherently bad. But how, how does our will become a problem? When it's disconnected from our other parts, especially our spirit. Now remember, the flesh and the spirit are both being centers. And they kind of represent two diff- the two different arenas we live in. As I, that was the first episode called the arenas. And there's the spiritual and there's the physical. Like the flesh is more epitomized by the material world. The spirit, the more right spiritual, right? But the flesh isn't the same thing as our physical bodies. And, and when, when Paul, like this, this idea of the flesh really is a New Testament idea mostly. Now I was kind of surprised to see the term does show up in the Old Testament. But Paul uses it in kind of a unique way. And he uses the Greek word sarx, which actually refers to our physical bodies, but he's not talking about our physical bodies. And so the first thing I can say about the flesh is God didn't come to condemn our physical bodies or the material world. That was Gnosticism. Greek uh, Gnosticism was a religious spiritual movement that predated Christianity, but it crept into Christianity because it found a kind of an inroad through this idea of Paul's the flesh. 
And so Gnostics just kind of said, well, the flesh is synonymous with the physical, our physical self and the physical world, and it's all bad, obviously, and we're called to move out of the flesh and into the spirit. So we just, we just say the flesh is bad and we'll be done with it. The physical, our bodies, the physical world is all bad. God's going to take us, you know, at, at the end away from all this anyway. It's just all throwaway. World's evil, flesh is evil. That's the problem. We just need to go to our spirits. No, that's incorrect. That's Gnosticism. That was, was soundly rejected by the fourth. Well, it was soundly rejected by Paul, and it was concretely rejected by the fourth century in the Nicene Creed. Like it was, it's just, it's been rooted out and just declared not harmonious with Scripture. But we have Gnostic leanings today. Today, in, Christi- in modern Christianity, we still tend to think of our physical bodies, the physical world, as a throwaway, but God's going to rescue us from it. That's not true. So don't think of the flesh in terms of your physical body. Really, it epitomizes our will. Our will, not, ju- not just our will, but our will apart from God. And how are we connected to God? Spirit through the soul. All the data centers connected to the soul, to the spirit, and the flesh. But here's the thing. When the flesh dominates and the spirit goes into stupor, is darkened. That's the problem. It's not just our will, but it's our will disconnected from God. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 8 says the mindset on the flesh is death. He doesn't say the flesh. And he doesn't say the mind. And remember, we have two centers that are like our mind, our conscious center, the soul, and the rational center. But what Paul's really saying in that Romans, and we'll get to Romans, I actually have Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, and I have some Old Testament passages also looked up. But what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8, when he says the mind set on the flesh, you could just really say the rational center set on our will independent of God. When you get the flesh and the rational center and put those together and you just have those independent of all these other parts, when those are dominating, that leads to death. He's saying, when our will is dominated, or when our will dominates our personhood and then it expresses itself through our rational center, that leads to death. Now that's a pretty serious statement, right? Well, isn't rejection of God death, right? (laughs) We talked about that. Yeah, this is how we practically reject God, operating in our own will and our own thinking. The two centers that epitomize that according to Scripture are the flesh and the mind. The mindset on the flesh. Put those two together. Have them two dominant. Have those things leading your life and you will die. Now, we don't really die. We're spiritual beings, right? So it's not, again, it's not physical. It's not literal. When you live independent of God and your will and your rational center dominate, they lead you into a kind of life that is like a living death. This is what scripture teaches. So when we talk about the flesh, We're talking about a way of orienting ourselves away from God in disconnection where our will is operating independent of God. Now, God gave us a will, right? 
God created us. This is why the flesh isn't in and of itself bad. It's only bad disconnected. But that's just, that's the core wound, right? This is the, what we're, this is the, the series called Wounded. The core wound is separation from God, right? When we're separated from God, we're darkened in our spirits. We're darkened in our understanding. We're cut off from the life of God. These are all things that scripture says. This is the old self, the unregenerated self. We're darkened. We're disconnected. We're lost. We're, we have no understanding. We don't know. We're oppressed. We're subjected to death, dying. Right? This is what scripture says. Why? Practically speaking, because we're operating independent from God in our own will and our own thinking. So the flesh. The flesh isn't bad. It's a part God has made us with a will. But he never made us to walk independent of his will. This is why scripture is really clear, even in prayer, even in our prayer life. When we pray, we must pray in God's will. Scripture is very clear. Ask whatever you got. I mean, Jesus says, ask whatever you want. And we're like, okay, all right, I can ask whatever I want, God. Oh, man, there's so much I want. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus didn't just say, ask whatever you want. He said, when you ask for whatever you want in God's will. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So when I ask God to do what God wants to do, God will do it, right? Remember, I've said God doesn't answer our prayers. He answers the prayers he prays through us. Because when we come to God with our will, what did Jesus, Jesus' prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The crux of the flesh is my will. The crux of the spirit is thy will. My will be done or thy will be done. In that train, I was wrestling between God's will and mine. That's just practically speaking. That's just easy to see. This is our, this is our struggle. Our struggle is our will independent of God. And so I think the large part of the Christian journey after coming to Christ is the surrendering of our will. It's not a one-time thing. And man, whew, my breakdown... I mean, I can say confidently, all of our woundedness... All of the pain we experience in the world, the dysfunction of the world, it's all, it all stems from our will. That's the flesh. Our will independent from God. Operating in our will independent from God. This is it. This is the core wound. This is why Paul points to this combination, this deadly combination. The flesh and the mind. What he means is our will independent from God. And the rational center, which is perfectly fine thinking its own thoughts and doing whatever it wants. Put those two together. Death. Man, that's serious. But what are we talking about? And in this, these last six episodes, this included is, hey, we need to put our whole personhood back together. We need to understand all the parts. We need to kind of separate them. Remember Hebrews, the Holy Spirit distinguishes and separates, pierces, divides soul and spirit joints and marrow like the spirit comes and gives distinction separates all these parts so we know them and so we can pull them apart and so they can then be put back together properly like the truth is in our six parts and the six parts of our personhood they're not working like they were intended to work this is the fall this is what happened when you take the seventh component of our personhood out of play god the six parts fall into disarray, into dysfunction. And this is where all of our problems come from. 
Right? What's going to happen when you remove God's will from your life? There's a vacuum created and something has to fill that void. And what fills that void is another's will other than God. We were meant to be tethered to God's will. We do not have free will. This was an idea Augustine put forth in the 3rd century. Free will. Scripture never, ever says we have a free will. And I think, I think it's not a hard case to make that we don't have a free will. Paul, I think it's Romans chapter 7, I think. Where he's, I, I could be wrong about that. Uh, anyway, Paul speaks to this truth. This might be in Corinthians where he says, I do not do what I want to do. What I want to do, I do not do. You know, who will save me from this body of death, wretched man that I am? He's like, man, there's a battle going on inside me. What, what's, what's that battle? My will and God's. That's what I was battling on that train in Washington, D.C. I knew clearly what God had said. It wasn't a problem of hearing. It was a problem of obedience. I knew what God wanted. Why didn't I want to do it? Why would you, why would you ever to choose not to not do what God wants? Does that, right? God clearly tells you something. Hey, it's not that easy. Why? Because our will is untrained. It's unregenerated. The flesh through the soul is not being led by the Spirit, Holy Spirit through our spirit. And if you remember the last podcast, I said the Spirit needs to lead in all things. The flesh needs to take a back seat. Like the purpose of our will, because we're, we're given a will, but the purpose of our will is to submit it to God. God created us with a will, not a free will. He created us with free choice, and I think that's a better term. And I was talking with a theologian who happens to also be a Greek and Hebrew scholar. He pastors a church in Hawaii, of all places. I'm going to go visit him someday, just because he's in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I think his church is called The Bridge. His name is Michael Halcom. He's written several books. I'm giving a shout out. But he and I were talking, and he's like, he, I mean, he, so he's a, th- he's a smarter guy than me. He knows the Greek and Hebrew. And he said, hey, we don't have free will. Scripture is pretty clear. We have free choice, not free will. I think that's pretty true. We were not given a will to walk independent of God. That's clear. The fall, what was the fall? What's the core wound and what's the core remedy? The core wound is we forsook relationship with God. We, and that was Satan's lie. He was like, hey, you can work in your will independent of God and you'll be really even better. That was the lie. The lie was it wouldn't be better if we just took our own will in hand and did what we wanted and became our own gods. That's what it means to be your own God. It means to lead yourself. Why would Satan offer that? Because he wanted to be our God. He knew that our will, independent of a higher will, it doesn't work. It can't. It's not meant to work that way. This is why we feel so awful operating in our will, independent of God. Because it's not how we're made to live. And when we experience our will and other people's wills in conflict... Because what happens when God's will gets displaced? There's a vacuum, and we fill it with what? What do we have to fill it with? Our will, other people's will, Satan's ideas. Like there's all these, now there's all these oppressive forces, and we're trying to, we're trying to master and muster the strength to combat these things on our own. We can't. We weren't made to. Man. We don't have free will. Shout out to my smarter, smart theologian friend, Mike Halcom. Like, like, I just want you to know, 
this is a theologically sound idea. You know, um, Augustine was a great guy. I've read some of his works. Good thinker, good Christian thinker. You know what? Even really smart, even really holy, even really godly theologians get things wrong. But man, he set forth that idea. Wow, you know what? 1,700 years ago, hey, we, you have a free will and you can choose God or not. not that, no, we have, we have free choice. But So if we're, if we're apart from God, how do we come back to God? Oh, we need God's help, right? This is the whole story of the gospel, that Jesus came, rescued us because we couldn't do it. We couldn't will our way back to God because willing our own way through the world is what actually separated us from God. Isn't that crazy? That's what the flesh is. The flesh is our, our will. It's just our will. So what? It's a part of our six... It's a part of our person. It's, a, it's one of the six parts. It's, it's meant to operate in a certain way, but it's not meant to operate independent of God. So it needs to be brought back under God's dominion control through the soul, through the spirit, our spirit to God's spirit, right? Remember the Jewish concept where I even got this idea from? The Jews had this concept. God took f- flesh. He took matter. He formed this body, Adam, Eve. He breathed the Spirit's breath of life, the pneuma, the rao, or the ruah, sorry, the ruah. <laughs> I pronounced it wrong. He breathed the ruah, the pneuma, into Adam, life. And then... Out of that, the Jews had this idea that the soul was created, the conscious part of our three being centers. But the soul's main purpose is a bridge. Remember my, my, my pastor's church is called the bridge. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I just got that. The soul is the bridge. It helps connect the flesh to the spirit, and it helps connect our three data centers to the spirit as well. But it, but it can also connect our three data centers to the flesh. And when the spirit is darkened, Asleep, sundered, disconnected, dormant, then the flesh being center tends to take the lead and it's dominated. Then it's just our will independent of God. And that's what we see. That's what the world is. This is the world. People operating in their own wills and each of us is our own God. What happens when you have seven billion gods in the world, all with independent differing wills in conflict you see a world in conflict murder oppression tyranny crisis after crisis after humanitarian crisis people doing what's good for themselves and not what's good for others you have all these different people trying to be their own gods operating in their own will this is the flesh independent from god this is the world as we see it this is the dysfunction of the world the solution, you've got to bring the flesh back under the control, the leading of God. you got to get the, our spirit center leading the way in that. Right? Isn't that cool? All right, let's look at some scriptures. You know, I was kind of surprised because I really didn't think the Old Testament had anything to say about the flesh. So I, I did like, a, you know, just did a word study in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Uh, yeah, I typed in the term, the flesh, and there was like over 250 References, uh, more Old Testament than New, but more, a lot of those were just referring to the physical body, not this concept of Paul's, but th- not the concept of our will. But some did. So let's go there. Let's get to some scriptures. I have a, lo- I have a lot of scriptures. <laughs> Woo. 
I will start in Psalms. I think that's a good place to start. So th- this it, this is Psalm 73. It's a Psalm of Asaph. One, I think he was probably a Levite. There was a group of Levites specifically who were tasked with singing worship songs in the temple as people came in. They were kind of to the side. People would come into the temple and hear these guys singing. So a lot of these psalms are wor- they're worship songs. They are ancient worship songs. Isn't that cool? Um, so that's this is Psalm seventy three. So in Psalm seventy three, Asaph is wrestling. He starts out in verse one saying, "God certainly is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart." And then verse two, "But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling; my steps had almost slipped." Why? Verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on to talk about... Basically, he's like, God, it's not fair. Like, I'm following you. I'm seeking you. I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what you want. And I'm suffering and they're not. It's an interesting concept in contemplation called the dark night of the soul. When you come back into contact with God, it doesn't feel good because... All of a sudden, your will is in contention with God's will. And you have to wrestle through the sacrifice, the crucifixion of your will. This is what the cross really means. This is what being crucified with Christ really is. This is why even before his literal death on the literal cross, he wrestled in the garden and said, Not my will, but thine be done. That was, he was wrestling between his fleshly being center and his spirit being center. Even Jesus wrestled with the flesh being too dominant. Isn't that interesting? Because why? Perfectly God, but also perfectly human. He had to wrestle just like we did. He had all these six parts and he was wrestling with the God component, the seventh part being where it should be. He wrestled just like me in the train, right? I was like, he knew what he was supposed to do. But he wrestled. Why would he wrestle? He's God. Why wouldn't he just do what God wanted? Because it's hard to sacrifice our will. It's independent. It's not easy. The contemplative dark night of the soul is wrestling with, why do I struggle? God, I'm following you, God. These people over here don't even care. Well, which feels worse? Apathy or empathy? All right? God's not making us unfeeling, but infeeling. We talked about that in the heart, the knowing center, the heart knowing center episode. It, feels, it doesn't always feel good to come back to God because God's like, he's infeeling, not unfeeling. He's empathic, not apathetic. Sometimes it feels better to be apathetic. It's like, oh, I don't care, whatever. Yeah, screw you, buddy, whatever. It, 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 arrogant the arrogant the people apart from god may not feel as bad because why because they're numb but when you come back to a greater sensitivity through the spirit you start to feel god's will and contention with yours like just like paul he's he was like i just such a wrestle i'm struggling god this is so hard i what i I want to know you but it's uh, there's a battle when you start to when when the spirit starts to distinguish these parts pull them apart you, you, you struggle more because now there's a work to do letting God crucify your independent will, the flesh, the mindset on the flesh, right? It's not easy. And so in Psalm 73, this guy, he's wrestling with like, why do I have it bad and they have it good? And then he ends. Um, 
I mean, he's just going like verse 13. He's like, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. He's like, this. He's like, I'm struggling. They're not. It's not fair, God. Why? <laughs> and he said, and then verse 6, 15, he's like, and then he's like, verse 15, he's like, if I had said, I will speak this way, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And verse 16, he said, when I thought of understanding this, it was troublesome in my sight until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. So he's like, man, when I stood before you, I kind of understood everything. They're destroyed in a moment. This is the verse that I wanted to get to. I'm looking, oh, here it is, verse 26. Well, I'll start with verse 25 or 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. You will guide me with your plan and afterwards receive me to glory. He's like, you're with me, God, and I know where I'm headed. Like, it's a hard journey. It's a hard journey journeying back out of the flesh, the mindset on the flesh, back to the mindset on the spirit. Soul set on, set on the spirit, you could say, I think. is a better interpretation in terms of all these parts. But then he ends with verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's like, oh, my flesh, my will, my heart, the, scent, the core of who I am, like all my strength. This is all about my, my heart, my flesh. It's going to fail. My own strength, my own will isn't strong enough. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion. For, like Verse 26 in Psalm 73 points to this reality. In our will, in our own flesh, our own mind, set on our own flesh, doing our own thing, it's going to fail. It's not strong enough. God's strength, God's will, that's strong. That can overcome everything. Especially, remember our three enemies? The flesh, the world, and Satan? But the worst is the flesh, right? Man, you can't battle the flesh apart from God. Why? Because you're battling the flesh with the flesh. You're trying to fight your will using your will, and you can't will yourself against your will to stop willing yourself independent of God. This is a surrendering. This is why salvation is a free gift. It's free because it's why Jesus has to do it for us and why the Spirit has to come and do it with us, walk us through it. Our flesh, our heart, it's going to fail. It's not strong enough. We can't defeat the flesh with the flesh because you're actually bolstering the flesh to try to defeat it. Uh, It's so crazy. And the mind is the same. We talked about this in the mind. The mind's like, I can do it. The flesh and the mind are like, we can do it. Hey, even when we come into Christ, we're like, we can do this Christian thing. Eh, Wrong. Man, there's so much fleshly Christianity out there. People doing good intentions, right? Good truths. They know, they know the Bible. They know, and they're trying to do it. But it's the mindset on the flesh. It's, I can do this. And God's like, you can't do anything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I love Psalm 73. It really points to this well. I thought it was interesting. Just real quick, Psalm 84. Uh, this is Psalm of the Sons of Korah. How lovely are your dwelling places, Lord of armies. Starting in verse 1, sorry. Verse 2. My soul longed and even yearned for the courtyards of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I just want you to see, like, the flesh, its proper focus and function is yearning for 
the joy of living with God. He says, my heart, my flesh sing for joy to the living God. He's like, man, when our heart, our flesh, when these data centers and these being centers, when they're all focused the right way through the spirit to the spirit of God, it's joyful. It's good. Man, he's like my soul. There it is. The soul. You see the soul, the heart, the flesh all right here. My soul longed and even yearned for the courtyards of God. Man, I just want to be with God. Where do we get that from? What center? Spirit, soul. Even the heart more is more focused on connection to God. See, we got to have all these parts doing their proper things, functioning in their proper ways, and in the right order. Spirit to soul, to flesh, and then the being centers leading the knowing centers. Directing, giving wisdom. Right? It wasn't enough. All the things that I've experienced, the middle of the night panic attacks, the spiritual oppression. It wasn't enough for my heart to recognize. I talked about the wisdom of the heart. For my heart to say, this is outside of me. Through my heart, through my soul, through my spirit, I still had to invite God and say, God, this is beyond me. Like the flesh, the mindset of the flesh's response would be, I can do something about this. But man, God, what did God do? He put me in a place. This was my dark night of the soul. Put me in a place where I couldn't. I couldn't do anything about anything. Even my own mind, my own heart, my own body, experiencing things I can, could not control, couldn't even begin to know how to beat, let alone have the strength to beat. But the flesh, the mindset of the flesh is like, no, you can do that. Well, how do we do this? But it's actually the thing causing the problem. So what? The spirit has to come in. This is what he's pointing to in Psalm 84. I love it. I had... Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I just thought it was really good because he talks about the futility of man's efforts. He said, this is verse 4, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a person and his neighbor. This too is futility and striving after wind. The fool holds his hands and consumes his own flesh. The one, the, but one handful of rest is better than two fistfuls of labor and striving after the wind. Striving. This is the flesh and the mind. He says, the fool, holds his, hold, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Sorry, I think I said holds in his hands. He folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. It's a fool who strives in his own strength. Striving, it's futility. He's like, like there's so much labor striving in our own will. It's just done for rivalry between a person and his neighbor. Like, what is that? It's all, all, all of us striving in our own will. I, well, you're not going to say that to me and you're not going to get my way on the road and I should have been first in the line at the grocery store. You cut in. That's the place I wanted. Well, that was the, I wanted that position at work. All striving, all rivalry. What? Well, that's the flesh, the mindset on the flesh. That's our own will, independent of God. And we're just operating our own will. And what, what our will knows is what our will wants. That's our will. Our will is I should get what I want and 7 billion people trying to get what they want in conflict with each other. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, that's foolish, striving after the wind. It's futile. But he's like, verse 6, one handful of rest is better than two fistfuls of labor and striving after the wind. How do we enter God's rest? Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Oh, man. we got to focus through the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit. Surrender. It's, that's when, our, when our, all our parts are quiet, right? Rest, shalom, peace. That's a fruit of the Spirit of God in us. Doing a work, dividing, separating, showing us our true dysfunction. Our true dysfunction is rooted in our will. 
connected to the rational center, all operating independent of God. And now we reach to... Well, I, I talked about Matthew chapter 26 already. Jesus in the garden. He said, my soul is deeply... This is, sorry, 26 verses, verse 38. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So he's like, he keeps coming back. He's got some of the apostles there. He keeps coming back. They're falling asleep. He's praying. He's wrestling. And he wants these. He just wants what the heart wants connection. He wants to know that there's some people with him in this wrestle, and that they're not with him. And he comes back in verse 41. Finally, and they're falling asleep. And he's like, at the end of verse 40 and, 40, and 41, he says, "So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? I just asked you to keep me company for an hour. I'm so." I'm so burdened. I need some friends now. Verse 40 and then verse 41. Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus' own words. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Now I do have to get, I said, Jesus, a train ride in Washington, D.C. and a monk from Kentucky. I, will, I gotta get to, I'll get to Thomas Merton. That's Thomas Merton. I'll get to him in a little bit. But here Jesus says, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh, what is the flesh? Our own will. Put, the, put our flesh together with our mind. It can't do the things God wants. It's not strong enough. Flesh, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. So we got to get more towards our spirit and let the spirit lead. All right, finally, we are to Romans chapter 6. Talking about the flesh, we're talking about our core wound, right? Chapters in Romans chapter six, seven, and eight, Paul lays all this out. I think very clearly, maybe the the most clearly of anywhere in Scripture, what the flesh is. So first, and I just want you in chapter six, he really he first ta- starts talking about this idea of our self-willed life. He, he calls it sin. Far, uh, verse two: Far from it, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? What is sin? our core wound separation so like we're gonna think like oh well sin is not doing what god wants but when you apply the flesh to this problem of sin and you don't understand it's actually separation from god and you're just trying to do the things god wants but you're trying to will your way to it you're actually you you've not died to sin because sin is trying to do anything separate from god and this is how this is the individual sins the things we do against god's will stem from trying to do things apart from God's will. So you can't will yourself back to being subservient to God's will. The flesh must be connected to God through our spirit center to God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. So Paul's like, hey, you died to sin. Why? Don't live in it anymore. Or do you not know, verse 3, know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death. What? What? What has died? Our will. What's being crucified? Our will. What did Jesus have to surrender in the garden before his crucifixion? His will. Verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with our body of sin, the flesh. There's a reason he says the body of sin here. I'm going to keep going. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is freed from sin. 
Okay, he's like, this is a metaphor. And we, like, we go to church, we take communion, we have the cross, we talk about being crucified with Christ, be Lord, Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But he's saying, this is the whole thing. You've got to be crucified with Christ. You've got to be put to death. What does that mean? I haven't died. But there's a way for our parts to be ordered that is like a living death. But, we're, but we actually have to go put those things to death to come back to life, to newness of life, so that we can walk in newness of life, as it says in verse 4, Romans chapter 6. What does it mean to have new life? It means that all our parts need to be separated, distinguished, put back together in the right order, and the Spirit needs to lead the way in the flesh and the mind that used to dominate need to die. This is so practical. I love it. And yet, what are we doing? Most of our Christianity, the main work is letting the Holy Spirit come in and start to crucify our self-willed life. But mostly, I think we're using the self-willed life to try to work our way to be holy, to do what God wants. And that's good. Like, it's good to want to do what God wants. That's our will. The good purpose of our will is to will ourselves to the will of God, to our will in concert with God, connected tethered. Remember in Isaiah, I can't remember the exact verse, but I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, set, fixed, dependent on me. Like, how do we come into true peace, true rest? Got to put the flesh and the mind to death. They got to be tethered to God. They don't go away, but they, they come to a new life, a new purpose as God and his purposes begin to be expressed in our lives. And then what? Like on that train ride, like, in my will, on that train ride in Washington, D.C., that girl's crying. And my will was like, uh, that's uncomfortable. You know, I don't really like being uncomfortable, God. Isn't, isn't Christianity about what makes me comfortable and getting... I want to be blessed. This, uh, like, this isn't going to bless me right now, God. It's actually making me nervous and anxious. And God's like, shut up, flesh and mind. I'm talking through the Spirit now. To the Spirit of you. Like, this is about connection. This is not about you feeling comfortable. But that's my own will. My own will is I want my, what I want, God. And I want you to do what I want. And God's like, that's not the paradigm. That's God. That's the thing that needs to be crucified. You can't, we can't do the things God wants in our own will, in our own strength. That's absurd. It doesn't work. So that's what Paul starts out. I just want you to see the flesh and sin. Or it's the same thing. It even says in verse 12, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, Therefore sin is not to reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. Lust. What is lust? Will. Lust is like the essence of a will so fixed on its own once that it's like rampant and raging. Like think rape, think abuse, think oppression, think oppressive governments, oppressive people, think a terrible boss at work, people that are just like, I do what's good for me, buddy, and you better not get in my way. I take what I want. That's the world. No, that's the flesh and the mind creating a world apart from God. He says, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Or So he's, he's saying, don't let disconnection from God take its full effect through the flesh and the mind. So that you're obeying what, like, you're, like what our will is a force of reckoning. It says, this is what you need to do. So it's in, it's in, it's in contention with God's will saying, no, this is what you need to do. Like, how do we obey 
sin. If it's just some activity, it's a rule we broke. No, there's an actual presentness to sin because it's because the force of our will, the flesh, is behind it. Right? And we're going to get to this, where, you know, all the way to chapter 8. This is three chapters following this train of thinking where he says the mindset in the flesh is death. It's like, and the mindset in the flesh has no idea how to serve God, know God, appease God, please God. Because it's just, it's completely in the opposite mode of, of life. It oper- the way that the mindset in the flesh operates is completely opposite to God. It just doesn't know, has no idea how to do this. That's the same thing as sin reigning in our mortal bodies. And he talks about that. So in verse 19, he introduces for the first time this idea of the flesh. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, now so present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Your body's parts. I really think he's talking about our six centers of being and knowing. I, you know, on the surface, he could just be saying your physical body parts. But this is not what he's talking about. He says, because of the weakness of your flesh. your flesh, He's not talking about your body. He, this is the word, sarks. But he's talking about the weakness of your own will in combination with your own mind. That made you a slave to impurity, resulting in further lawlessness. But you've got to present your parts as slaves to righteousness. What You've got to get your will enslaved to God's will so that God's will is leading and your will is tethered. And what? Everything. Like Then my will, the, the single dominant message of my will is, God, what? Not my will, but yours. My will is constantly saying, not my will, but yours. My will is constantly saying, God, I want to do what you want. And the will will come back and say, you don't let that person speak to you that way. You don't take that. You, and God, and what do we say? No, I'm not listening to you. You need to listen to God. God, what do you think about this situation? Our will is like, no, I don't like this. I don't like that. I want this. I want that. And the spirit through the soul to the flesh says, hey, wait a minute. This is not the paradigm. This is not new life. This is not you in charge, buddy. This is God. God, what do you think? This kind of stung, this action, this word, this person, this thing, this a circumstance, this event, this stung, this hurt, this wounded me. God, what do you have to say? Mostly what God says to us in those moments is too much ego. You're focused on what you want. Let's take a different perspective here. What do I want and how do I see it? The Spirit can illuminate so that, you know, we begin to see when God opens our eyes to the spiritual things, the spiritual things and we see the energy behind everything, we begin to see like, oh, that person that just like snuck behind me and got that promotion and like brown nose their way above me. Man, actually they're really hurting and they have their whole identity is wrapped up in the praise of their boss at work and they live and die. And man, they're so wounded because their dad abused them and their mom abandoned them. And instead of that person took something I wanted, it's that person is so broken. And God, thank you for showing me that. And how can I love them really well? And how can I put them above me? And how can I say, you know what? It's not about me getting ahead of you, but it's about me serving you. And that's God's will because God is serving everybody. And and God lives to try to lift everybody up, to heal, redeem, and draw everybody back into harmony, love, and healing, 
God's not like, oh, you didn't do what I wanted and I'm pissed off at you. I'm kicking you to the curb. God's like, no, of course you didn't do what I wanted because you have no idea because you're severed because your flesh is too strong in your mind to set on the flesh. So, of course, so I'm not mad. I'm trying to rescue you. This is a rescue plan, not a spanking operation. I'm not here to just punish your bad behavior. I'm here to help you because you're so oppressed by all these parts out of order. Crazy. Let's continue in Romans chapter 7. So he starts out in verse... He's going along with this idea of how the law is suspended through death, right? That's who he starts out with verse 7, the first parts. He says, verse 6, We've been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. And here, again, he's, so he's making this, he's using the Old Testament law as a metaphor. Okay, why? Because the Old Testament law was, you can do it. The Old Testament law was rooted in the flesh. Why? Because God knew people weren't ready for this deeper wisdom until Christ came to reveal it perfectly. That's what Hebrews says. But so Paul's making this distinction and saying, look, the essence of the Old Testament law was you got to do all these things to be right with God. And it's up to you. It was the flesh, the mindset of the flesh. This is what Paul's talking about. But he's saying now we've been released from that whole system because it didn't work. Why did Jesus have to come with a better way? It didn't change God's ultimate goal for us to bring us back to him, but it didn't work. That way didn't work. And so now Paul says, verse 6, chapter 7 of Romans, now we have been released from that law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Capital S, spirit. Like now we have a different paradigm. What is it? Now we got to get all these parts put back together in the right way. The Holy Spirit needs to be leading our spirit through our soul and leading our flesh. And then the spirit, the, the being centers leading the knowing centers. The oldness of the letter is, yeah, your flesh and your mind can do it. The newness of the spirit is, God has to lead you in this. And your will needs to be subservient to his. And he goes through talking about, he goes and says, no, wait a minute. I don't want you to think that God's principles as expressed through the Old Testament law were wrong. They were right. But he said, but verse 8, sin taking an opportunity through the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. He's saying, sin, what is sin? It's our will independent from God. It's separation from God. That's our core wound. He's saying, look, it didn't matter like the Moses Mosaic law was, was a good representation of who God is and what God wants. The problem was the mode of operation, the flesh, but sin, think, but the flesh, think, but your own will taking opportunity through the truth of God just produced more sin. For apart from the law, sin is dead. It's like it just revealed the fact that you can't do it. So he so talk, talks about that for a while. Verse 14, chapter 7 of Romans. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly. He's like, the law was spiritual. It came from God. But I'm fleshly, sold into bondage to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, for I am not practicing what I want to do. Remember, I talked to you about that. But I do the very thing I hate. However, if I do the thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. But now, no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. What is he talking about? Paul's like, hey, I, I'm not... He sounds like he's saying, I'm not responsible for the sin I do. Well... You know what? Kind of right. He's saying, apart from God, the best I can do is 
mindset on the flesh. Even when I have God's good truths to the law, when I have the wrong mode of operation, my will in my rational center, it doesn't matter. It's not even me. Like, I can't even help it. Verse 18, For I know the good does not dwell in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. He's saying, look, do you hear it? There's no good in me, in my flesh. For the willing is present. Like, hey, he's like, I have a will to do good, but it actually can't even do good. It just doesn't work. Verse 20. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Sin, the fleshly being center coupled with the mind knowing center enslave us to a system. And really, they enslave us to a higher, the higher mind, the higher spiritual mind of Satan and Satan's kingdom. We fall When we follow the flesh, which is our main enemy, we naturally fall into the dominance of our other two enemies, the world, which is Satan's system of order, and Satan himself. This is the whole paradigm he set up. This is the way he organized it. He's like, he knew, he's like, hey, if I can get these, these humans operating in their own flesh, in their own mind, bam, I got them. Now I can do what I want. I can't defeat God. I can defeat and rule over every single human person operating in their own will. They can't even help it. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm no longer the one doing it. Sin in me. Sin meaning separation from God. This, this our, our personhood and separation from God can't help but do the opposite of what God wants because we can't do what God wants apart from God. He says, verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, the spirit. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, the flesh, the mind, waging war against the law of my mind, think soul, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, separation from God, the law which is in my body parts. Again, all these parts. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. He's saying, yes, we have a will, but it's bent on serving. Its focus is itself. Independent of God, the flesh, our own will, will fall into doing what it wants for its own benefit. It can't even consider what God wants. And now we get to Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Again, it's flesh, 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 sin, sin, sin. It's death, death, death. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Chapter 8, verse 2. What's the law of sin and death that we are freed from? Your will. And Paul says it's through the flesh. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Meaning it's weak. The law is good. But the mode of the law was our flesh, our own will to do what we want. And he's like, it's too weak. So Jesus had to come. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Capital S, but 
you could it's our spirit with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, we do not walk according to the flesh. We don't walk according to our own will. We can't. You cannot, through your own will, get to God. Because your will dominating the being centers darkens the spirit center, the spirit being center, which connects us back to God, which puts, God, which puts us in contact with God's will. And he says, verse 5, For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Are you a Christian and you're trying to do your darndest, your best every day to live according to God's truths? Ooh. Ooh, mm. no, sir, doesn't work. You will not please and appease God in your flesh, operating in your own strength and your own will. You don't know how. Because the mindset on the flesh, verse 7, is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It doesn't even know how to. You cannot figure out how to get your will surrendered to God. Because you can't. What you need to do is get the will crucified, right? You've got to still the mind, the rational center, get it quiet to hear God. You've got, in, in concert, the flesh as well has to be silenced. Our will needs to be gotten out of the way before us to even begin to hear God. And if we cannot hear God, we cannot please God. You can't do what you think is good for God and please God. That's not how it works. Verse 9, Romans 8. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, through the bo- though the body is dead because of sin, if the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. He's not, not, not talking about our physical bodies. Because later he even says that the Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. Though the body is dead because of sin, he means the flesh. And the person whose parts are oriented in a way where the flesh and the mind are dominant. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. See? (laughs) I I didn't know that was coming. But there it is. He's like, hey, even our physical bodies get lifted up into this new paradigm of life to life to life to life through the Spirit when the Holy Spirit through our Spirit is leading these six parts. Because then you got the seventh part in play. And verse 12, he's wrapping this up. So then, brothers and sisters, we are no longer under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living in accordance with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen to this. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, not the physical body, the self-oriented in the wrong way, you'll live. It's a process. If you're in the process of living according to the flesh, you're in the process of dying. You're a living death. You're heading more and more, more into death, more into destruction, more into dysfunction, more into woundedness. But if you're in this process that, this, that through the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, the self-willed life, you will live. Get in the process of, through the Holy Spirit, putting to death the real thing in you that needs crucified, your will. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. I'm getting short on my time. I got to get to my Kentucky monk, Thomas Merton. Let's jump over there real quick. 
Man, it's so good. It's so good. Thomas Merton wrote this. Like This is in his book called um, No Man is an Island. This is a, a section called Mercy. How close God is to us when we come to recognize and to accept our abjection and to cast our care entirely upon him. He's saying, when we realize how wretched and poor and incapable we are and we just cast ourselves on him. Against all human expectations, he sustains us when we need to be sustained, helping us to do what seemed impossible. We learn to know him, not now in the, quote, presence that is found in abstract consideration, not in the mind, a presence in which we dress him in our own finery, but in the emptiness of a hope that may come close to despair. For perfect hope is achieved on the brink of despair when instead of falling over the edge, we find ourselves walking on the air. Man, do you, like, what if I said, hey, you got to go through despair. You got to come to the point of death, dying. When you come to the point of being so hopeless about what you can do to remedy your situation, then you're, then you're close to God. If I told you that, would you, would you go like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. Let's get into this darkness and despair, this dark night of the soul. That sounds great. Let's do it. That sounds good. No, no, that's not the health and wealth. God bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, gospel. That didn't sound good, but look, how else is the will going to die? Like, you want God to feed your will. That's the health and wealth mentality. Bless me. Make my life good. And God's like, man, you want me to bless the very thing that's killing you, the very thing I need to crucify. Nope, not going to work. Not going to work. What does a train ride in Washington, D.C.? A Kentucky, a Kentucky Trappist monk and Jesus have in common? They all show that the self-willed life is the problem. Our will is in the way. When the flesh dominates and the mind together, we cannot come to new life in God. Our core wound isn't that we should have done better, could have done better, and need to do better, because then we're still operating in the very thing that's killing us, our will. Our core wound is separation from God. The direct leading, guiding of God. The flesh isn't bad. It's only bad. It only gets, it gets distorted. Falls into disarray and dysfunction. And separation from God. This is where we're born. This is the world we are born into. This is how we're used to living. When we come to God to make Jesus our Lord and Savior, doesn't change. It's very easy to fall into a fleshly Christianity, a self-willed Christianity that then is actually feeding the very thing God wants to put to death. And God can spend a long time simply getting us to the place where we realize that simple truth. took me a long time to get there. I'm still, even having seen it, still fighting my will. Often I come to great moments and seasons of peace and I'm like, I've arrived. And then I go into a new season of harder learning and I'm like, wow, my will still a lot more dominant than I thought. Man, Merton's uh, comment about coming to the brink of despair. Man, that's tough. That's rough. I've been to that place many times where I didn't think I could do what was in front of me, beat what was in front of me. The oppression was so heavy. My body in the middle of a panic attack, my heart in chaos, my mind in chaos. But the one thing I came to in those moments is, I can't do this, God. And God's like, that's what I've been waiting for. 
God could wait our whole lives for us to finally come to a place where we're like, I can't do this, God. And God's like, exactly. Now we're ready to start something here. Now we're ready for crucifixion and resurrection. It's not a metaphor. It doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it's not happening at all. It will not happen when the flesh and the mind are leading the way. In the next episode, we'll talk about how God takes these things apart, puts them back together in the right way. (laughs) I love you guys. Thanks for paying attention. I love getting to share with you from the wisdom God's given me. I hope that it really helps you on this journey. It's a journey. We're going to trip and stumble our way forward every day. Make a lot of mistakes. We're going to stumble forward. Just keep going. All right, I love you guys. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or Google Jay Randall Ori. Love you guys. Be at peace. Let God lead the way. Amen.